I'm Adam Spencer, and in this episode of Challenge Chats, I'm joined by Noam Barr, co-founder of Ottolenghi. During our time together, we talked through Noam's 20-year journey with Ottolenghi, from its origins as a small deli in Notting Hill, to becoming a global brand and pioneer of vegetarian cooking. We also discuss how the business has tackled the challenges triggered by the COVID-19 crisis, the opportunities and risks in brand extension, and Noam's early adventure in the telecom sector. So dial up the volume, kick back and enjoy. It's without further ado that I'd like to introduce our guest for today, none other than Noam Barr, co-founder of Ottolenghi. Ottolenghi is one of the UK's most well-known food brands, inspired and influenced by the shared Israeli and Palestinian roots of its three co-founders, Noam, along with chefs Yotam Ottolenghi and Sami Tamimi. The group launched its first site in Notting Hill back in 2002, and now has a collection of gourmet Ottolenghi delis and two iconic restaurants in London, Nopi in the West End and Rovi in Fitzrovia. The brand is best known internationally for its collection of hugely popular cookbooks and Yotam's columns in The Guardian and in The New York Times. It also has a growing range of ambient and chilled products retail and has more recently branched out into tablewares, continuing its evolution into a lifestyle brand with its own unique aspirational aesthetic. Noam has been an integral part of the Yotolengi story since its inception and leads the group's strategic development. Noam, it's fantastic that you could join us. Welcome. Great to be here. Thanks, Adam. So before we dive into the Yotolengi story, it'll be great to hear a little bit about your background. Let's rewind all the way back. Um, where did you grow up? I grew up in Israel. Did uh, my compulsory four years in the army. So it was two years in the army, actually two years uh, uh, social service. Um, I then did, did the other compulsory part of uh, every Israeli youth, which is uh, traveling around the globe. So I did uh, two years of that. So I actually started uni when I was 24 in age when I guess a lot of people uh, graduate plus. And then I started uh, started with medicine, thought I'd be a doctor, um, realized after three, four months that it's not for me. Moved to psychology, um, graduated there. Um, and in my f- medical school, um, I got to know Yotam through a mutual friend. So we started a relationship which brought us uh, traveling together to Amsterdam and then to London. We then broke up. And a year after, we started Otolenghi. And I guess the rest will be covered here. <laughs> it will indeed. But before we uh, dive into that, tell me a bit about your family background. Were you from an entrepreneurial family? No, no, no. I mean, quite the opposite, really. Um, dad was an engineer, mom was a teacher. So um, very much a nine to five kind of uh, environment, which actually horrified me. I guess that's that's where the seed uh, where, where that's where the seed kind of came from. Okay, so so that kind of gave you the ambition or the itch you needed to scratch in terms of becoming a, an entrepreneur and exploring your own your own thing. Uh, exploring, yes. I mean, entrepreneur. I mean, I never thought of myself as a business person. I mean, that that came a lot later. So, um, uh, tell us about your time in Amsterdam. What did you do there? You mean apart from partying? Apart from partying. Yeah. Israel is very uh, cosmopolitan and, and open now. Uh, when uh, Yotam and I grew up, so what, that's, when we left Israel, that was uh, 30, almost 30, uh, 25 years ago. It was a lot smaller, a lot less interesting, very provincial. So we said, oh, we'll go for a year. Uh, we'll experience the European life. And we, we, we had a great time. I mean, it's, it's, 
I mean, the quality of life there is second to none. I mean, we lived on a canal. We went everywhere by bike. It was just a great way to experience Europe in, a, in its best, really. Were you working? Were you studying? I was uh, still uh, doing this uh, telecommunication business that I started in Israel. Um, Yotam was studying there. Yotam was finishing his studies, really. So it was a great time. I mean, we really we didn't have much to do. It was uh, half half day, if that, of work and the rest of relaxing and traveling around and so on. For sure. And the, and this telecommunications business, is this... Uh... This was in the kind of you know the early days of the inter- kind of pre pre internet. Um, what what was the the telecoms business about? You need, so, to, you I mean, need to dive into the story. First, <laughs> <please>. <laughs> I'm not letting you get away without it. <laughs> okay, okay, no, that's fine. So uh, I mean, if me, me and a friend, we kind of just just by chance kind of uh, came about an idea for um, telephone dating lines. Um, it was just the beginning of premium lines, premium telephone lines in Israel. Um, there was no internet. I think we're talking about, what is it, um, 89 or something. And we thought, wow, that's a great idea. Uh, there was no telephone dating at all in Israel then. And, um, you know, especially we started we started this with a gay line, with a gay dating line. And it was really the first option to for gays to meet each other outside the parks it worked fantastically well it did quite a lot of money then the internet came and decimated it which was kind of a good thing because it really wasn't my cup of tea but it was it was a it was great while it lasted and did you find yourself manning the phone lines yourself no no, no. <laughs> <laughs> i mean it was it was dating so i mean okay it, I okay mean, it was kind of you were connecting yeah, kind of an, an early big, grinder an early grinder that's what it was yeah then you moved to London. Tell me a bit about the kind of genesis of, of Ottolenghi and, and um, the brand and the first um, site in Notting Hill. How, how did that all come about? Yotam was working in a few places and pretty much quickly after that realized that uh, the right thing to do is to open his own business. Because especially, I mean, now, now, now you can uh, have a lot of mid, mid, middle management and management opportunities in, in, in restaurants. But at that time, it was the chains were not hardly there yet, and you were either the boss or an employee. Um, and he thought, okay, you know, I, I don't want to be an employee all my life. I'd rather start something off my own. And then he he kind of called me and said, you know, would you like to help? And he joined Sami, he's a wonderful man and a wonderful cook. And you know, by sheer luck, we landed on this tiny little shop in Notting Hill, around the corner completely unknown unless it's for locals and it was just the right place at the right time it was it succeeded immediately and it succeeded really fabulous and an undisputed way it was um, it was a lot of skill but a lot of luck as well how did you uh, your time meet uh, Sammy in the first instance Sammy your your co-founder your time was working with Sammy and Baker and Spice so your time was head of pastry there uh, Sammy was head of cuisine and it's an interesting story because they actually were born in the same year, uh, both in Jerusalem. Um, Yotam in the Israeli part of Jerusalem, some in the old city, in the kind of heart of the old city, really. And they grew up, obviously, not knowing each other. And it was quite a beautiful story that they met in London, two gay men from, you know, one Israeli, one Palestinian. And they became very good friends. And when Yotam uh, wanted to start his own business, Sami was happy to, to join us. 
it's lovely to hear a, a nice story, nice news story about Palestinian-Israeli friendships and business partnerships, particularly making that work over a, over a twenty-plus year period. I think it just goes to um, the universality of food and drink as a common language and something that can be shared, you know, no matter where you're from. Yeah, yeah. And then Cornelia joined us. Cornelia is the kind of other founding member of the company. So that's quite a nice story as well. So her mom, she was she was in London without a job. And her mother-in-law passed uh, and saw the shop and said, oh, you know, you must apply. And she came and she applied and we said, oh, you know, we only have uh, positions for uh, sales assistants, which is uh, minimum wage plus, plus a bit of tips. And you're clearly overqualified. And she said, no, 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 but I love your place. Let me join as a sales assistant. And three months later, she was running the shop and a few months, maybe a year later, she was running operationally running the whole business. That's the three co-founders plus Cornelia, effectively in a, running a single site business. Was that not a situation of too many cooks um, to coin a phrase? Did, did you end up stepping on each other's toes at all? By that time, we already we also had Islington. We opened Islington two years later. Um, no, not really. Uh, Cornelia, by the, uh, Cornelia was managing the uh, Notting Hill shop. Sammy, Sammy is very much a cook's cook. He was never particularly interested in management. And Yotam was so busy with cooking and with, you know, getting the atmosphere right that um, there was enough space for everyone, really. It worked very, very well. We've, we are very complementary in many ways. The Notting Hill site um, is, is pretty iconic. It was a huge success at the time. Um, why do you think it resonated so much with the local customer base there when, when it first opened? I think in some ways we were uh, the canary in the coal mine. Uh, we identified unconsciously, I mean, it wasn't intended, but we identified some ideas that became uh, very well established in, in, in cooking and in society, uh, which is huge reliance on, on, on vegetarian, uh, on vegetables, on vegetarian cooking, um, and uh, abundance of flavor. I think it's kind of, it's something that came strongly to the UK around the time that we started. So there's two things which were really not on trend, but uh, just before the trend. They were kind of helping to create the zeitgeist, if you want. And, you know, it was also a fabulous product. Um, Yotam and Sami are incredibly talented chefs. I think there was, the service was fantastic. Um, we really knew all the customers. We really care, cared about all the customers. Everything was right. It was the right idea brightly executed with a great atmosphere you know it wasn't cheap but the notting hill people have the money to spend so that was kind of part of the gig gimmick so uh yeah it was great and you ended up with your time's name above the door of that first site uh, was that was that always the plan yeah yeah i mean we were kind of discussing a lot what you, what it should be called and otto Leng is just a great name the sound of the word is fantastic <laughs> so um it was quite clear that this should be the name Someone told us, oh, but what are you going to do if uh, one day you want to sell the business? And we were thinking, oh, I mean, what, what is he on about? I mean, we were just about <laughs> to open one shop, right? So there was, um, it was an easy choice. Nothing, no, no other alternative came close. So when you opened the, the shop, you, you didn't really have that kind of you know, longer term, uh, you know, where is the business going? How big could, could this get in mind? It was, it was really just about you know, getting that one store open and making that first step into you know doing your own thing and, and creating the brand 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was there was never any plan. I mean, I guess we started thinking of the business as a business in terms of what what we started thinking about it as a brand maybe six, seven years after we've started it. It was just it was just kind of really doing it for the sake of doing it. And what was it like uh, for you working so closely with someone that you'd previously had a, a personal relationship with? Ups and downs, of course. I mean, in some ways, there's a lot of understanding uh, and a lot of respect. In some ways, it's it's difficult. Um, you know, you take the you take the good things and the bad things. All in all, it was obviously a very constructive and and uh, and very pleasurable uh, collaboration. And uh, you mentioned your your second site, um, which you opened up in Islington. How did that go? That second site opening? It was a disaster. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, we, we, I mean, there was a lot of hubris there. We we said we thought, okay, we know how to run a cafe. We'll open a restaurant, and we had no idea how to open, how to run a restaurant. <laughs> um, and we relied on the wrong people. The most difficult of all, we just couldn't get the concept right the food concept right the deli always worked okay but it took time for people to realize what the deli is i mean people didn't jump on it like they did in uh, in notting hill partly because i guess the kind of cash available to spend in islington is not as high as in notting hill uh, so that took time and the restaurant we just couldn't get it right until uh, maybe nine months after opening we we settled on the kind of meze type uh, eating so a lot of small dishes rather than main courses, and that was really the the big break, break, breakthrough. I mean, once we started doing that, people just got it and it was working. You've since opened up two larger full service restaurants, uh, Nopi and Rovi in, in central London. They're very different to the delis. Um, um, what was the strategic thinking behind behind those two restaurant openings? Well, the, the real motivation was to do something interesting, less of the strategy, but. What we did think strategically is if we want to build a brand, and by that time we did think about building the brand, uh, and we want to build your Tom's profile, just having delis doesn't give you enough gravitas as a chef. Um, and the proper restaurants give you a lot more presence, a lot more gravitas. And, you know, there was extremely successful, both of them. So it's, it's, it's been a great, uh, a great experience and also a great contribution for the brand. And how did you go about funding the business in the early days? Interestingly, it's the same shareholders then and now. So um, it's us and friends and family. We've been diluted by allocating shares to to, to members of staff um, and members of the management team. Uh, but there hasn't been any uh, outside investment. So it's it's essentially the same investors. You know. I mean, it was. I mean, the the amount we were talking about then it was it, it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> you know, we're we're talking about one hundred and ninety five thousand. I mean, I wish I could I could start anything with you know five <laughs> five times that now. <laughs> that's that's a health and safety budget, isn't it? For, yes, exactly, uh, for exactly. So coming back to the brand, one of the risks and benefits of a brand being named after a co-founder is that the brand become synonymous with that individual and, and vice versa. So have you had any experiences of um, your brand name and the connection holding the business back? Or has that link with Yotam always been a positive one for the business? I think it's always been a very positive one. We never tried to change directions. So we started as a quite an exclusive, high quality 
no compromise about about the product business, and we 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 still like that, um, and that's very much um, what Utam believes in, what Utam is uh, practicing. So I mean, there's always been quite good synergy between all the, between him as as a chef and how, what he represents as a person, and and between the business that might be best portrayed certainly internationally in the series of cookbooks, which is another kind of string to the bow of the brand. When did you make the decision as a business to go down the route of, of, of publishing a cookbook? And did it distract much, if at all, from the hospitality side of the business when you first launched? I mean, one of our very first clients was uh, is, a liter- is a literary agent, a wonderful literary agent, Felicity Rubinstein. And she she came up to us maybe three months after we opened and said, look, you guys must have a cookbook. And we were like, yeah, 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 it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And a few years later, we did go down that route. Um, and it was, again, an immediate success. It was absolutely unbelievable how, how popular the, the book became without any publicity. And uh, it's not, it wasn't necessarily, I mean, we thought we'll just have a book, we'll see what happens. And it surprised everyone including the publishers, how successful it was. Uh, in terms of resources, I mean, no, but by that time we had enough good chefs. So your time and Sami could take time developing the recipes. And, you know, for them, it was good to just get a little bit of a, a break from day in, day out in the kitchen. Why do you think books were such a big success? What, what were you doing differently that other, other cookbooks weren't? Again, it's a combinational thing. So, it was right on the zeitgeist. It was really, I mean, especially plenty, really transformed how people were viewing vegetarian cuisine because it was, I mean, the message was you can have a completely vegetarian meal and not feel that you're missing anything. Uh, because vegetarian up to that point in time was uh, apologetic and trying to um, to mimic meat um, or to have very strong, very kind of heavy flavors, you know, that you kind of compensate for the lack of meat. And we were like, no, 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 you know, let's just celebrate the vegetables as they are. Um, and then, you know, there's, uh, it is a very, it is a very thorough process on, uh, in, in developing the recipes. I mean, they're checked many times, um, until your Tom and his team feel that they are perfect. And then they're sent over to Claudine who lives in Wales, uh, and she she tries each and every recipe, and she bring she sends it back with remarks, and then if necessary, it's uh, tried again. It's just a very very thorough process, and the recipes really really work, and people you know appreciate that. And that's that's another big reason for why why they're so successful. Successful, and and they seem to have resonated across uh, a number of different territories um, and mm-hmm. a number of different countries that have you know different dining habits so um and if we've talked before about you know the, um, the books being big in australia germany uh, east and west coast us did the success of the books get people kind of knocking on your door in terms of potential franchisee partners partners who wanted to take the brands into these territories yeah we, we get we, we did get and are still getting a lot of approaches like this yeah and, it, and is it something that you historically have explored in detail? To be honest, just, just before COVID, we were quite close to doing something. Um, then COVID came, we, we put it aside. The difficulty is finding the right partner. I mean, the risk is so high. And, and really, it's, it's marriage for life. I mean, it's, it's a Catholic wedding, really. I mean, you can't, <laughs> you can't really divorce. Trying to kind of walk away from such a deal is, is pretty much impossible. 
so it's 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 really difficult to find the right partner and we are very very careful about that and when you do kind of you know make make that move kind of internationally in terms of your bricks and mortar sites will you, will you end up changing the the experience significantly or have you not kind of gotten that far in your thinking yet no i, I don't think people will uh will accept that i mean especially as, as, as it pertains to otolenghi i mean we are a global brand i mean a lot of people are kind of Otolenghi tourists, even. So I mean, I, I might I might uh, sit sit down on the bar in Islington, have dinner with your Tom, and someone would come and ask for an autograph and say, "Oh, you know, I've been uh, to Nopi for breakfast and to uh, Rovi for lunch, and now I'm here for dinner." So I mean, this, the brand loyalty is insane. So I'm trying to change something. I mean, it's it's going to be noticed. It's not going to be. Uh, uh, forgiven. So, um, I mean, obviously, tiny little bits, but essentially, we need to, we will need to uh, present exactly the same experience, exactly the same standards. What are your thoughts on what the brand represents now? Is it in your head still a food brand, or is it involved in something a bit more kind of holistic? Yeah, I mean, we are we are moving into something more holistic. I mean, the tableware is uh, is a very new adventure. Uh, it's a big range, uh, over a hundred pieces that we launched with a very, very good Belgian company all over the world. So that's a new adventure. We'll see where it takes us. Um, it seems to be selling fantastically well so far, but it's, it's, it's early days. But I think there's a certain aesthetic to the brand that uh, we can carry through into, um, into other aspects, possibly. We'll cover off some of that in a bit more detail later on, but... Before we do, let's kind of go go back to you know the people side of things and and the leadership team. So you mentioned Cornelia. There's there's yourself, uh, your Tam Sammy. Uh, how how do you kind of split up responsibilities between the team? Um, uh, yeah, and and have you ever kind of discussed or debated one of the four of you stepping into a more defined kind of CEO or leadership role, or does it work very much collaboratively? There is quite a natural. Uh division of roles. I mean, Cornelia is very much the people's person, the operations person. Um, I'm more on, on strategy and your time is uh, on food and on um, uh, kind of uh, being the face of the brand. It's very difficult for one of us to become the CEO because it's really like um, it's we are so integrated. The three of us are so intertwined. Um, the actions are so intertwined that it's it's very difficult for one of us to step and be in a completely different position. Uh, so no, it's not really something we've uh, entertained. I know, I know, it's the Euros, but I, I'm an Arsenal fan, and for for my sins, and I come across something that Arsene Wenger said about aut- automatons. He called it, and um, basically, it's um, you know working with with individuals for so long that you become aware of and can anticipate their next movements and um, and their decisions and so you know that that does um, you know just make decision making a lot easier but when, when there are disagreements around around the board table then um, tell me who usually win, wins out they want they want be one person I mean it's really um... <laughs> happy families <laughs> uh, yeah okay cool sometimes quite a noisy family but yeah yeah (laughs) okay well fortunately we'll move on to covid i'm afraid we need to talk about it tell me what did the business look like in 2019 early 2020 going into the covid crisis it was in very good shape really really good shape um we um we 
we had uh, we, we made great improvements in kind of how the purchasing is managed and uh, finance is managed. So we were kind of pretty lean and mean. Um, and um, we were kind of thinking about expansion and about uh, strategic uh, kind of the next strategic moves for the company. But everything was on very um, low fire and, and COVID really um, accelerated this thinking. I mean, it was, it, we, were, we were comfortable, it was cozy. Um, and then it became very uncozy. <laughs> very quickly, yeah. And, and what were you doing on that fateful day when uh, Boris made his first kind of lockdown speech to the nation? You know, I've I've been I'm I'm a very pessimistic person, so I, I've I've been on I've been on lockdown mode way be, way before Boris was. <laughs> so when the announcement came, yeah, when when the announcement came, I was like, uh, there was no surprise there. So it actually, no, it's not I don't remember it as a JFK moment. <laughs> okay, I whenever I think about Otolengi, I think about you know communal dining, cozy, intimate environments. Um, Lots of noise, lots of um, uh, bustle. Um, yeah, for me, that's always been a feature of Otolengi, particularly the delis. So, so how did that kind of translate into a, a world of social distancing and two meters and one meter plus? We obviously had to lose a lot of the sitting in Notting Hill. Actually, we lost all the sitting, uh, but we gained deliveries. So, in fact, the sitting area in Notting Hill became the delivery area. Um, so the figures actually haven't changed because the little that we earned from the sitting down area, which was not very big, um, is covered by the deliveries. And how has delivery kind of impacted the the in-store experience? Um, obviously, it's changed the, the Notting Hill site. How about the other the other sites? Have you had to adapt the way that your in-store experience works to to cater for um, your delivery drivers coming in and out? Um, not much. No, I mean the the, the order values pretty good so it's it's not huge amount of deliveries coming in and out and it, it's still not it's most people still prefer to come in and, and choose so it's not a delivery driven business it's a, a nice little add-on and you're opening up um, and despite covid despite everything that's gone on you've you've decided to open up a new store so you're um we're recording this at the end of uh, the end of june 30th of june 2021 and um uh, you are opening up your next deli in Marlebone tomorrow, uh, I believe, which is um, a full six years after your last deli opening. Um, so outside of COVID, um, why, why such a long gap between between the two? Um, you know, six years is a, is a fair amount of time. It's actually, if, if, you, if you look historically, we opened a new place every three years. Um, so Rovi was th- exactly three years ago. Um, so Marlebone is coming three years after. Uh, it should have been open a year ago, really, but. Uh, due to COVID, we obviously delayed it. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, uh, I guess we'll 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 concentrate on delis going forward. Um, restaurants are a lot more complicated, um, and um, yeah, I mean, delis it, it's an it's an easier option. Mm. And um, has has COVID changed your kind of longer term strategy at all, or has it really just put plans on ice for eighteen months? Um, how how are you viewing the business now? It it accelerated it accelerated everything. I mean, what happened with COVID was the first the first two three months were um, a near death experience because until uh, we knew the extent of the government support and until we kind of appreciated. Uh, how the crisis is playing out, there was a real danger that 
we've lost everything. And, and once you experience something like that, you you realize the time is short. You haven't got the whole all the time in the world. So we haven't changed anything, but everything that we'll do in the next couple of, of years will be a lot quicker than it would have been without COVID. In terms of what the biz- the changes that you you've had to make to the business, um, you know, in, uh, for instance, you know, del- you know, delivery becoming more important important part. Is that something that you'll look to kind of you know maintain going forwards, or do you see you know the business and the trading profile of the sites kind of reverting back to where you were pre COVID? Um, I think delivery is, you know, it's it's there's less of it, but. Uh... It's pretty stable now. Um, I think it's it's there to ch- to stay to stay. Like I said, for us, it's not a major thing. Um, so the trading hasn't changed dramatically. The profile hasn't changed dramatically for us. Uh, and in terms of other kind of brand opportunities, we've discussed previously. You've, you're moving into wholesale for for ambient products and um, uh, and selling products through retail channels. Um, it, it, is that I think I, I understand that's something that's quite still quite kind of nascent um t- tell us a bit about that um that part of the business um how it's developed and wh- where you're looking to take it so we've always had a, cent- a small central production unit which was uh making mainly packed products for our shops um which were extremely popular we're talking about biscuits jams uh, all kind of chutneys and chili paste etc um but it, it was it was very small, um, and we never entertained the idea of um, selling it wholesale. Um, again, uh, during COVID, we were like, okay, you know, this is an opportunity that we can't, we, we just can't miss. These products are too too good, um, and and we need to try to sell them elsewhere. And we found the great site much bigger than what we have. Very good financial terms, given it was during COVID. We can do we can sell a lot more. Uh, so we kind of we're starting to think how to approach supermarkets with what to approach supermarkets. Um, so that could be quite a big part of the business and uh, uh, and a business that is really new for us. Uh, and we, we know how to make products in small scale, relatively small scale. Um, so increasing it to I wouldn't say large scale, but let's say medium scale, and the whole complexity of uh, establishing relationship with with supermarkets. That's a, a whole new game for us. And will you be looking to bring in um, kind of additional talent um, to uh, to manage and, and grow that part of the business, or something? Yes, you'll look definitely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just on brand opportunities, the beauty of having a, a powerful, recognised brand is it gives opportunity for considered brand extension. Um, we, we've also mentioned you've mentioned you're, you're in tableware. Um, there's linen as well. Hi, you know, it's all highly designed, very, very on brand. What are the other growth opportunities on your radar in terms of brand extension or you, do, you, do you have enough on your plate for, for the I, I, yeah i think that, yeah yeah we, uh, that, that's that's one thing there's international franchising which we touched on quickly i mean i think we can do that if you're kind of, uh, careful with choosing the partner um i think we can do a lot more along uh, digital content and that's something we, that we're looking at as well right so um we now have our quick fire round so we're going to move away from the world of Ottolenghi for a bit and throw a few short, sharp questions at you to get to know Noam a little bit better. So are you ready to mix it up a bit? Yep. Okay, let's do it. So first question, London or Amsterdam? All right, it's got to be London. It's home now. Delis or restaurants? 
restaurants. Nothing like a good meal. What's your favorite dish? Well, it has to be a really, really good hummus with a warm pita. Uh, that's kind of real, the real comfort for me. Okay, uh, gym after work or cocktail after work? Uh, gym is for the morning, so uh, definitely cocktails. Uh, Facebook or LinkedIn? Actually, TikTok. Ah, okay. <laughs> I, fi- <laughs> I find it to be very. I mean, it's it's very well. It's very very cleverly thought of. You down uh, with the kids, are you? <laughs> Uh, is is that something that you just uh, as an aside in terms of the the Otterlinger brand and social media presence um you know it, it, are are you consciously targeting kind of um you know a younger demographic now and you know will you will you be considering kind of tiktok yeah i mean it's something that we think of um and we we should get into that for sure okay and final question 2019 or 2022 2022 is going to be super exciting I thought you said you were a pessimist. <laughs> <laughs> well, in equal measures, yin and yang. Absolutely, nice balance. Cool. Um, so, uh, so yeah, what, what's exciting you most at the moment when you think about the next few years and how it may pan out? Um, you know, is it is it taking the opportunity to grow your your bricks and mortar Delhi Delhi estate into um, in a market that's been disrupted by growth, or is it more of the kind of you know developing the brand extension opportunities we've talked about, or is it a bit of both? Yeah, I mean, less of the delis. I mean, the delis is something that, you know, we, we can do and I think we can do very well um, and we can and we should do in a very, very measured way because uh, the last thing we want to do is, is cannibalize uh, what we have. So we're, we're not talking, uh, we're talking about very, very low numbers. Uh, but yeah, this this the opportunities of brand extension into... Um, new spheres is, is what's exciting for me and uh, and what's keeping you up at night at the moment what worries you i guess it's still covid i mean the, the optimist in me wants to say <laughs> oh it's all over you know we're all vaccinated the pessimist wants to say well we really don't know what's happening with this so um still still for i, I can i'll be pessimistic for a couple of months still and then <laughs> hopefully i can sleep better at night Fingers crossed for all of us. Um, cool. And uh, looking back, are there any um, big initiatives or decisions that you, in hindsight, uh, wish you had made? Um, or are you happy, content with the journey that, that you and the brand have been on? I guess the biggest the biggest mistake we've made, uh, I've made, was, was Sesame. Uh, we tried to venture into uh, uh, fast food and it failed for many, many reasons. There was a kind of spectacular failure that um that we learned we learned a lot from and, and that was a single site was it it was a single site it was open for six months uh it wasn't doing particularly badly but um it wasn't doing as well as we wanted it to do and we just thought okay let's just cut the journey short and um concentrate on different stuff yeah uh, would there be an opportunity to go back into you know, the qsr model um, going forwards, or is it quite a way down the the pecking order? I don't know. I mean, I probably would have said yes in 2019. I mean, at the moment, it's uh, it looks so um, such a difficult market. So I, I couldn't say yes now. Maybe in 2022. Looking back at your journey, what have you been kind of most proud of? I think we've managed to maintain integrity in everything that we've done, and I think customers 
really feel it and appreciate it. Somehow it's it's being uh, communicated through everything that we're doing, um, and I, I think that's 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 a real achievement. No, what's the single most important piece of advice you'd give someone considering rolling the dice and starting a challenger brand or, or starting any business? It would probably be to get a team around you. Um, so no one is is good in everything. Um, and I think it's really important to identify what you're good at, but also what you're less good at um, and get real partners that can really complement you. And I think that's one of the main reasons that Tutuleng has been so successful is that we've been really so complementary to each other. It's rare to see a, a team come together you know, so quickly, um, you know, in the space of you know, a handful of months and, and be so successful um, uh, over a, a period of 20 plus years, it's, um, uh, it's quite an achievement. And, um, uh, and it feels like there are, there are many more years uh, left in, in this journey for, for you and the team. So, so when you sit back after, um, after those years have expired in, <laughs> in 10, 20, 30 years time, look out on your front porch or, uh, or sat, sat back in your yacht, uh, how, how will you judge if you've had a successful career? I think it would be about a combination of expanding. I mean, I think there's, there's a huge amount of expansion that can be done, but while maintaining the, the things that make us proud in the business. So if we can maintain this balance of expansion and pride, that would be an amazing achievement. Noam, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Adam. It's been a pleasure for me as well. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to any of our channels, drop us a line, or follow Tamriel Capital on LinkedIn, where you can carry on the conversation and engage on all things leisure, hospitality, wellness, consumer, and challenger. Thanks for listening.